You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. It's Father James Scholl, and I'd like to continue with the consideration of At the Limits of Political Philosophy, um, the section about the consequences of political uh, error, political philosophy, and evil, uh, where we talk about what is evil, what is death, and here we're going to say something about hell. This is chapter uh, five of the uh, of the uh, book, and it's entitled uh, "Regarding the Inattentiveness to Hell in Political Philosophy." And I begin with a quotation as usual, from Boswell's Life of Jonathan in 1784, in which is a uh, conversation between Jonathan and um, uh, Dr. Adams. Dr. Johnson surprised him, let's say Mr. Henderson, uh, not a little by acknowledging with a look of horror that he was much opposed uh, oppressed by the fear of death. The amiable Dr. Adams suggested that God was infinitely good, Johnson, that he is infinitely good as far as the perfection of his nature uh, will allow, I uh, certainly believe, but it is necessary for good, uh, for good upon the whole, that individuals should be punished. As to the individual, therefore, he is not infinitely good, and as I cannot be sure that I have fulfilled the conditions on which salvation is granted, I am afraid I may uh, be one of those who shall be uh, damned. And looking uh, dismally at, uh, he said, and then Dr. Adams replied, what do you mean by damned? And Johnson said passionately and loudly, sent to hell, sir, and punishment everlastingly. Dr. Adams, I don't believe in, in that doctor. And Johnson, hold, sir, do you believe that some will be punished at all? Dr. Adams, being excluded from heaven will be a punishment, yet there may be no a great positive suffering. Johnson, well, sir, but if you admit any degree of punishment, there is an end to your argument, for infinite goodness would inflict no punishment whatever. There is not infinite goodness physically considered. Morally considered, there is. The end of the quotation. The first section we'll deal with is the political elements in traditional religion. The previous chapter on evil, uh, the following chapters on death, and uh, the present chapter on hell uh, uh, seem at first sight uh, peculiarly odd in a reflection on political philosophy. Yet, as I have uh, suggested, they uh, lie at the a natural origin, like the natural origins of the brilliant errors that have so agitated the uh, history of political philosophy. None of the topics is uh, normally treated in any significant uh, manner in political philosophy. Each looks to a different side of the unpleasant aspects of the human condition. However, however much each is uh, related to man's being in the world. In Revelation, hell and death are seen to be results of evil, even though they were not intended to exist from the beginning. For Plato, death led to immortality, the denial of which has always stood as a shadow 
over the question of ultimate human worth. Human dignity was bound up with whether um, there was a human destiny. But can a consideration of evil, hell, and death in political philosophy yield fertile results? If we are patient and reflective, I think the consideration of each will bear much uh, insight. If we think of them carefully, each uh, brings us to the brink of some higher reflection, which I have indicated is the purpose of this book uh, to present and, and uh, clarify. These are issues that arise from political living and in one form or another are treated by the classical authors. The need to reflect and to confront evils, uh, evils is an obviously crucial uh, aspect of political philosophy, as I have indicated in the previous uh, consideration. The very power of to choose evil makes each human life and uh, choices a choice potential, potentially dramatic and full of ultimate risk. It lies at the foundation of human worth, the fact that there is a something, a cost to it. The present discussion on hell appears in political philosophy, not from religion, though it has its place there, but from the tenth book of Plato's Republic. From the consideration of uh, rewards and punishments in actual political life is where it comes from, as Plato said. Let me frankly admit that the title of this present chapter on the neglect of hell, uh, along with Johnson's uh, response to Dr. Adams cited above, is deliberately provocative to the modern mind, to any mind, in fact. But nobody likes to speak of this uh, controversial topic of hell uh, unless enticed to do so by the suspicion that to neglect it uh, will leave something basic out of consideration. Not to reflect on the topic seems like a voluntary closing off of something that ought to be wondered about, whatever we think of it in the beginning. I submit here that political philosophy itself forces us to treat this topic if we wish to reach a complete understanding of this discipline. Leo Strauss cautiously touched on the uh, importance of this topic in his thoughts on Machiavelli. Quote, the beginnings of men, in Machiavelli's view, were imperfect and low. Man is exposed and not, and not protected, essentially, and, uh, and from the beginning. Therefore, the perfection envisaged by both the Bible and classical philosophy is impossible, according to Machiavelli, but for the same reason for which perfection, and in particular um, the initial as well as the ultimate paradise, is impossible, there cannot be a hell. Man cannot rise above um, uh, earthly and earthly humanity, and therefore he ought Therefore, he ought not even to aspire beyond humanity. Such aspirations merely leads to uh, the most terrible and wholly unnecessary inhumanity of man to man, the end of the quote. In Machiavelli's reasoning, ridding ourselves of hell was like the way to prevent uh, fanaticism in, in politics. It is the irony of this uh, 
thesis, as Strauss hinted, that uh, what was once thought to be beyond politics, the ultimate punishment for uh, volition, violation of right, uh, returns to the uh, political order on the denial of this punishment. But now, deprived of any transcendent check on the tyrant who is freed to create a hell on earth uh, because he is not uh, limited by uh, the principle of right and wrong except his own uh, success. He's only limited by his own success. When we have thought it out in this light, hell is a topic that advances the discussion of the relation of politics and the transcendent order of things. Here again is a question that uh, begins in politics. Why are not all unjust deeds punished? But cannot uh, find, but cannot find this ultimate resolution there. So it, they are punished in some sense, but the ultimate resolution is not there. Political philosophy has been uh, accused of having uh, overlooked everything from Plato to Nietzsche, uh, from the decline of uh, socialism to the rise of ecology and from, um, uh, from the neighborhood to the reconstruction of the whole world. But few, I suppose, are conscious of having neglected anything so exotic as hell. And yet it is a neglect and one worth some consideration, considerable reflection. This reflection is, a much, uh, is as much political as theological if only because some of the most absolute uh, uh, passions that uh, occur in political in the political order are those that are are in, incited to us uh, when we witness the uh, heinousness of extreme violations of human dignity, the gulags, the mass executions, the various genocides, not forgetting the preborn who are also uh, of our kind. Hell, besides being a mild, a mild uh, cuss word, is a concept uh, so versatile that it can be taken to mean its very opposite. In the uh, New Yorker uh, magazine from March 2nd, 1987, for instance, a delightful uh, cartoon uh, by Stevenson placed us in the midst of a wild Roman orgy with everyone in toga uh, sitting around and splashing in pools, whining and yelling and leering, sitting somewhat confused but happy with a lovely lady uh, uh, toasting the crowd over its head, a toga-clad a slightly uh, befuddled gentleman turned to another reveler uh, to remark, I forget what our cult actually worships, but we have a hell of a good time. In court. This idea of hell has incorporated all the things ever forbidden to us, as if hell were that in which a good bash uh, not to say a good uh, life uh, consisted. The incentive behind these remarks on hell was not uh, supplied so much by the wonderful cartoon in the New Yorker identifying uh, for our amusement hell with orgies and a Nietzschean-like forgetfulness of the gods. Rather, it was that came from Hannah Arendt's uh, perceptive remark in her uh, Beyond the Past and Future that the most significant consequences of the, of the secularization of the modern world uh, will be, quote, the elimination from public 
life, along with religion, of the only political element in traditional religion, the fear of hell. End of quote. Several things are to be noticed in Hannah Arendt's observation. First is the identification of the modern age or modernity with secularization. That is, with the idea that this world is all there is. And since there was no other source, man could only act on the basis of his own autonomy or norms. This was likewise the implication of Strauss's remark about hell in Machiavelli. The identification of modernity with secularization involved, secondly, the elimination of any uh, religion that still holds, uh, unfortunately, not even all versions of Christianity do, uh, that there is a transcendent uh, relation to God uh, through or apart from the world. Finally, Arendt's remark that the fear of hell had a public purpose. Without this fear, we might uh, expect some radical uh, disorder in the policy because nothing could control man's evil propensities. In this sense, the elimination had uh, unintended and dire consequences in politics itself. The theoretical understanding of this uh, connection cannot not be of great uh, concern to political philosophy, seeking to understand its own scope. In the history of Christianity, to recall, an apparent difference exists between Augustine and Aquinas on the question of whether the origin of government among men was due to evil or the fall rather than to uh, good human nature, uh, fulfilling its own purposes. Following the Stoics and St. Paul, we find that for St. Augustine, the sword was given to civil rule for our punishment. The fear of eternal punishment is parallel to the fear of the justice of the king or the emperor. Human beings are uh, prone to commit evil deeds. The sword is given as a kind of remedial good uh, to lead evil, uh, to lest evil things happen. Hangmen, soldiers, jailers, and police are necessary evils. They ought not to exist in a perfect order, but even in uh, religious tradition, they are found necessary. Granting the fact of all of ill deeds and actions among men, coercive government, uh, coercive governmental institutions are good insofar as they are uh, central or so far as they are control or lessen the disorder, uh, disorders caused by human choices of evil. The extent to which such a fear of punishment lessens disorder is a matter of experience. A wide variety of coercive measures designed to establish a more peaceful society can be found. Punishment temporal or eternal, and government, from uh, this point of view, find their origins in human disorders or evil. A second section of the case for coercion. Aquinas did not disagree with this analysis of St. Augustine, that government needed to exercise coercion because of evils that needed to be uh, confronted. Since it would be contrary to basic Christian doctrine, 
neither Aquinas nor Augustine thought that human nature was inherently corrupt. This latter position uh, was the uh, view of a Machiavelli or a Hobbes, not of Christianity. Some writers find a connection between Augustine's pessimistic conception of what men do and Hobbes' description of man in the state of nature as evil and at war with one another. In fact, nothing is found in Machiavelli or Hobbes about man's evil actions uh, towards one another that is not already uh, found in Augustine or in Aristotle and Aquinas for that matter. St. Augustine was a Christian who had read Genesis. He understood that no actual thing in this world was in its existence evil. Evil was the lack of a good that ought to be there, but was not there. Evil was located in the finite, but free will, not in finite existing being as such. It was all right that finite beings exist, in other words. Evil came from choosing something in a disordered fashion. It did not come from power, the power of choosing as such, uh, that was an essential element in the basic, in the being of man, and uh, therefore in itself good. Each thing is itself. Uh, a specific kind of being. It is good to exist, to exist in a limited manner is itself a good thing, even if such existence cannot fully cause its own being and goodness. Aquinas, following Aristotle, argued that because of this uh, natural goodness of human beings in particular, man was by nature a political animal. The state would have existed even without the fall. That primordial uh, disorder described in Genesis that clouded our <clears throat> desires to do good. The so-called coercive state, the one with sword and army, however, arose because of the disorder of the fall. This disorder was, in each of us, uh, radically theological. It needed to be confronted not merely by political means, that is, as Aristotle uh, saw at the end of the ethic, by coercion against the young men whom uh, their fathers could not handle. But by, so not just by the fathers that couldn't handle it, but by spiritual means, by virtue and grace. Nature was not able to uh, achieve its own ends because men did not will uh, to do the good uh, that they were capable of doing. This conclusion suggested that coercion exercised by the state need not be uh, an evil uh, itself if it must be used to protect the innocent against injustice, the injustice of others who are able, who are not uh, good by their own choices. Coercion as coercion is not intrinsically evil. Otherwise, it could not be uh, uh, recommended or used at all. What is evil is the human being using this, his will to act against the uh, uh, innocent and the good. Coercion, in its legitimate sense, is designed to perfect, protect the innocent against the unjust acts of others when, when they are initiate uh, these um, destructive actions.
Nothing requires us to uh, multiply evil uh, by uh, renouncing the use of force as a principle. Our intelligence is given to us in part to figure out ways to uh, reduce evil. The multiplication of evil is the result of human choice. It is not a natural necessity. Coercion is not in the uh, present order of things itself always evil, though it can be so used. Evil and coercion should not uh, be identified, identical. Fear of, the next section is fear of hell and the fear of the Leviathan. For Hobbes, at the beginning of modern political philosophy, the fear of violent death, which was uh, supposedly man's most basic uh, passion, justified absolute coercion. Fear of uh, punishment was to uh, uh, eliminate uh, arguments, uh, particularly those of religion or philosophy, that might lead to uh, uh, unrestricted warfare. The fear of violent death by an almost uh, scientific argument uh, led to the uh, granting of all power to the state in the social contract. Power was to be used as an instrument to eliminate religion and philosophy, philosophical ideas from the public order since such ideas were the main cause, it was said, of civil disorder. From this perspective, peace was uh, preferable to at any cost, even at the cost of truth. And so itself, uh, or in the cost of truth itself, or of any discussion about it. In such uh, political theory, the death of Socrates and the death of Christ wouldn't have uh, been routine, legitimate acts of power. Truth was rendered innocuous by eliminating it from the public order as uh, dangerous or irrelevant. The cost of peace was the denial that truth had any meaning in the public order. Tolerance, not prudence, became the higher uh, political virtue, became the highest political virtue. However, when Hannah Arendt maintained that the elimination of hell from the public order may be the most significant uh, aspect of modern secularism, she did not add that the fear of hell was in practice replaced by the fear of the Leviathan. That is, hell, which had formerly been uh, something beyond uh, this life, came to be located in this life in the unrestricted power of the state. Hell, or unrelenting un, uh, punishment, uh, came to be an instrument capable of making evil things to become politically good. Though through this uh, concentration, through its concentration camps and the use of drugs, its hells of this world, in other words, those who disagreed with the state could be refashioned or eliminated. A Socrates who did not fear death could not have lived in a Habesian state. A state with an absolute power and no uh, restrictions on its use uh, implies the fear of hell in, in that it uh, forgets most, uh, it forces most men to capitulate to its threats. The most disturbing character of modern tyranny is its often 
plausible claim uh, to be doing good through the use of unlimited force uh, to deny that any distinction uh, but political ones, any distinctions but political ones, uh, uh, ones backed up by the absolute power of the state, have any human meaning. This is not the I, to deny the fact of fanaticism uh, of various sorts, but it does deny that the fear of fanaticism is a uh, basis uh, for the denial of uh, identifiable truths and uh, human goods. Limited force may be quite necessary in many instances. We should not fail in political philosophy uh, to ponder the uh, reasons uh, for the rise of absolute states uh, with unlimited coercive powers. Is there any connection between the decline of religion in the public order and the rise of hell-like political entities? How would one go about explaining uh, this perplexity, perplexing topic? Both Flannery O'Connor um, and uh, Walker Percy in their writings and novels on the issue, on this issue, found that some connection existed between murder and compassion, between tenderness and holocaust. This connection will seem surprising, and yet it is worth thinking about since modern political ideology has been a search for a way to eliminate evil from the world in the name of compassion for the suffering. In this search, uh, modern ideology has sought to define who is good and who is evil, in some Manichaean sense, in order to eliminate what could be called evil. Guilt and punishment are no longer uh, presented, are no longer personal issues in, to be placed uh, for judgment in the hands of a uh, merciful, merciful yet just God. All, all problems are political in this newer sense. The very existence of certain classes or races or nations or genders or other abstractions, not individual free will, is considered to be the cause and location of evil. The newer abstract political evils, racism, sexism, and genderism, are offshoots of this theoretical uh, consequence of mislocating the causes of evil. Modern totalitarian absolutism incites many thinkers uh, to inquire further into the issue. Why or how did a good God make a world in which evil could exist? Some would hold that the evil of man, the evils of man, are to be identified with the God of creation, uh, who is said to be a, uh, at fault for making such a world in which uh, identifiable hills can exist. This thesis that evil was caused not by man choosing wrongly, but by the stru very structure of the world would justify a rebellion against God on uh, moral grounds. Ironically, the possibility of uh, our freely doing evil deeds uh, enables us to uh, defend the possibility of our existing at all. Not to be able to do evil deeds means that we cannot do uh, good deeds either. To have neither of these possibilities, uh, which cannot be separated, would mean that the kind of being we are could not exist. 
the theoretical problem problems that arise from the political uh, horrors of the 20th century, or of any century for that matter, uh, are more than a political in origin. The next section is called the classic context. No doubt the classical location of any discussion of hell in political theory uh, goes back to the Republic of Plato, to the problem of justice. In the Republic, in the famous scene of Book Two, uh, the young potential philosophers, Elimantos and Alcon, um, call Socrates aside uh, to tell him that they wanted to hear justice praised for its own sake, and not, like most people, opinion about it uh, for any uh, rewards or punishments that might come from them uh, from being just or unjust. Socrates was impressed by the honor and sincerity of these two young men in not caring for anything but the truth uh, of the topic itself. He admired their ability uh, to state the case uh, for evil, but still feel that it was not a uh, correct argument. Their souls and their heads were in conflict, so to speak. Only after the whole argument of the Republic had taken place, after the we know uh, left we knew that what justice was in itself and why we should practice it for its own sake, could we uh, take up the origin, uh, uh, take it up again, uh, the topic of rewards and punishments in our actions. Christians in particular will note that this, the doctrine of the immortality of the soul uh, which is not directly a Christian doctrine, uh, arose in, the, in a political context. It arose in political philosophy uh, to account both for the evils that could not be punished by the polity and for the rewards that could not be fully recognized by purely political means. This meant that the polity was limited in what it could uh, uh, accomplish, in what it could reward and punish. However, higher questions take place in every human life, questions in part of justice. These questions either would uh, destroy the polity if it tried to uh, resolve them by itself, or they would have a uh, transcendent uh, uh, resolution that occurred beyond politics and therefore freed politics of the divine burden, that of righting every wrong. But that some ultimate resolution was demanded by the dynamic of unresolved justice was within the logic of the analysis of the human condition. Mercy, equity, and forgiveness were addressed to the limits of justice. For Plato, a punishment after this life taught that we should live rightly in this life. Uh, uh, in this one, uh, we are given uh, a position uh, 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 in substantial agreement with the revelational teaching. The point was found in the final myth of Ur in the Republic. No one who is not from the beginning well disposed to select it, the Republic argues, uh, arguments concluded, could choose the good. 
there was no second chance. This life of uh, ultimate significance was of ultimate significance. A similar notion was found in the Gospel of Luke in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man, after a uh, disordered life, finds himself in hell. Uh, but he wants to warn his brothers back on earth not to do the same thing that he did. He is told that a gulf exists between him and uh, the living. Abraham reminds him that his brothers have uh, Moses and the prophets. Uh, let them listen to them. The rich man knows better and, and uh, objects. No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead visits them, they will repent. And to this proposal, Abraham replies, if they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, uh, uh, they will uh, pay no heed even to someone should return from the dead. In the quote, human life rooted in free will is free to choose what it wants even when it knows the consequences of its choices. Love of self, not fear of hell, is the most radical problem of the human spirit. Looking at the proposal for an ultimate punishment, St. Augustine realized that the platonic question was uh, an entirely legitimate one. One solution the modern one, was that since all truths are relative, no real evil except that defined by the will by the will could exist. If there were uh, no evil, if there was no evil in principle, however, uh, there could be no ultimate or uh, transcendent punishment such as hell. If this be the case, everything, including ultimate rewards and punishments, must be uh, accomplished in this life. This proposition meant either that in the final analysis no right or justice existed, or that the task of eliminating evil must belong exclusively to the state. The former alternative is the origin of modern political uh, relativism, the latter of modern political totalitarianism. Both of these positions are philosophically intelligible and justified by the failure to think properly about the location of ultimate punishment for evils that are perpetrated by men in living polities in a definite time and place. Nothing is to be gained by denying the tragic deaths of the record of human evils. Uh, that seem, uh, the record seems to be exponentially multiplied when man is out to reform himself and to achieve the highest good through uh, politics. Augustine's solution still seems to be the most pertinent one. It was that men's desire for the city of God, or, if you will, uh, for the Republic, which bears, after all, the same name as Augustine's idea, city of God and the Republic, uh, is quite legitimate. The question of the location of man's best regime cannot be uh, supreme as a philosophical or religious or political issue without uh, dire consequences uh, to the human worth itself and to the civil order. The next section is on the non-contingency uh, of evil.
Vladek Kolokovsky, in a famous essay called Can the Devil Be Saved, asked whether evil was contingent. Could what was defined as evil ever be changed uh, be by a change of situation or culture or mind or time become good? Was evil both its definition and its frequency uh, persistent through time, or was it capable of being reversed uh, in, uh, into its opposite? Who was to decide this possibility? These questions, uh, under other uh, forms, are behind what is currently known as cultural relativism in the uh, in the ac uh, in the academies, Kolakowski himself did not think evil was mutable. Flannery O'Connor uh, had come to that same conclusion when she remarked on the difference between this South and the rest of the country. In her view, the South still understood original sin. This meant that the disorder uh, we observe is radically in our hearts and not uh, primarily in our institutions. No amount of rearranging of the institutions of property, family, or state will eradicate evil. In even the best polities or family, evil can appear. In our worst polities, good can appear. A point uh, Solzhenitsyn made about the gulags. This sudden appearance of good or evil is possible because of the nature of human freedom, the uh, source of all human action in this world. The Christian tradition, Kolakowski wrote, affirms that certain effects of original sin are ineluctable and there can be only uh, salvation through grace. Against this truth, we can either rebel or attempt to create a holy man-made world uh, uh, or, the, or recognize that politics is limited. Certain things politics cannot do. Whether politics, as Aristotle saw it, in the, as he saw in the ethics, is bound to the distinction between good and evil already existing in the human nature. This conclusion means that genuine risk is found in the world. This risk was and is the function, the uh, intrinsic part of every human action. If we try to remove our possibilities of choosing evil, we end up ourselves either subject to an uh, absolute state that makes the distinction for us or dwellers in a world in which no choice really uh, means anything. If we allow for our being able to choose evil, however, we cannot really uh, account for its final consequences. We must leave these uh, uh, rewards and punishments uh, to the transcendent order uh, to what St. Uh, Augustine called the city of uh, man. Raisa Maritam, in her lovely journals, uh, wrote to this point, I am uh, coming to take humanity quietly for what it is. Without exclamations, regrets, sighs, and, uh, groan and groanings. I will take it as it is without complaining, in other words. In a way quite different from 
uh, that of, uh, of uh, Leibnizian optimism. All is best. God knows what he uh, permits. He is not like a man who regretfully permits what he cannot prevent. He has let men go their own way, armed with their freedom, and they do go it. They go, gamble, and work, risk uh, everything uh, with more or less, uh, and perhaps uh, perhaps will end uh, by winning everything. God has simply uh, reserved for himself uh, in humanity, one man who is his son. Everything related to the ultimate questions of final reward and punishment uh, concern the free answer of men to what constitutes their final happiness. But this answer is manifested in actions that bear in themselves a possibility of choosing against reality, a choice that in its final uh, consequences um, uh, traditionally goes by the name of hell. So the next section is called Hell and Ultimate Meaning the last section. Men can and do, no doubt, choose wrongly. However, the enterprise of living a single human life in each of its moments is of utmost seriousness. Without the realization of this risk that we have in living, of the seriousness of the freedom, human life would be trivialized. The final cost of the uh, uh, denial of hell uh, is the denial of ultimate uh, personal uh, meaning. Human life with no real ultimate worth is in each human being would be uh, subjected to a polity that itself defined in lieu of anything higher, post what was uh, the worth and the punishment for human deeds uh, decided as uh, uh, that they were when they decided to recognize. Justice on such a hypothesis uh, would mean no more uh, than this uh, continuity, this uh, conformity uh, to a political judgment based on nothing but the states. The neglect of the doctrine of hell in political philosophy, however, however odd that phrase might sound, has the uh, serious consequence of mislocating uh, the context in, and the final um, importance of everything we freely do. The Orthodox religious teaching about hell does not uh, claim to know whether anybody is actually in hell. Our status is reserved to God. However, however much we might want to uh, consign someone there uh, for uh, terrible deeds done against individuals or against mankind, we ourselves in our finitenesses, do not know. Forgiveness is as much a reality and as much an ambiguity as hell. And yet, we do know that this uh, doctrine uh, graphically calls our attention to the importance of each human uh, action uh, that can have ultimate consequences at any moment of our choosing. St. Augustine was right uh, to see that Plato was closer to the right question. In 
our embarrassment with the real uh, uh, dilemmas about evil and its punishment uh, that arise from our politics and in our lives, we end up by creating something uh, at first sight more comforting. We, we conclude that hell uh, does not exist because, after all, nothing is of such importance as to warrant its uh, drastic consequences. We conclude this argument only to find uh, philosophically uh, that by, by it we have eliminated, have allowed ourselves something much more dangerous to take over our lives, uh, namely the power of the state or of some other human power uh, to decide the uh, distinction of good and evil. We are inattentive to these questions, I think, at our own peril. We live in a world in which risk is of the very essence of our dignity. The doctrine of hell guarantees that what we do with our lives is of more than passing importance. Nothing else can quite make that point to political philosophy so graphically. The consideration of hell is an extension of the consideration of evil. Indeed, it is its final uh, consideration. Both evil and hell are uh, discussions about the significance and ultimate importance of human life in its highest activities of knowing and choosing. We are, according to an ancient saying, to call no man happy until he is dead, as if there is a, a relation between a, a capacity to choose and a capacity to live. Albert Camus in The Revel wrote, quote, Men are never really willing to die, to die except for the sake of freedom. Therefore, they do not believe in divine and uh, dying completely. The most pure form of the uh, movement of rebellion is thus warned with uh, the heart-rendering cry of Karamazov. If all are not saved, what good is the salvation of one only? In this context, no one can forget Ivan Karamazov's other remark that if hell did not exist, uh, all things would be possible. Kalu wants to uh, be his own savior and that of others, but savior of what? Can we be saved from what we choose by anything but by choice, by a choice that recognizes a standard beyond mere choice? Death that final uh, statement of our freedom and our passage, um, the topic of which uh, I shall now turn to in the next chapter, next discussion, is to be seen in the context of Socrates' discussion of immortality, of the final uh, punishment for real deeds chosen against the good of a punishment that does not permit uh, the good to be called evil. Camus' a plea to save those who will not be saved, his uh, Promethean claim rings untrue in uh, the light of the opposite passage of the New Testament. What does it profit a man uh, to gain the whole world and lose the life of his own soul. Camus was, wants to save all, uh, no matter what 
the status of those of their choices, evidently, as if individuals, individual choices made no difference except their own uniqueness. Each would be saved uh, no matter what a position that implicitly justified with Thrasymachus in Book I of the Republic, the worst regime. In this context, someone who chooses, in fact, uh, a good life because it is good and will uh, remain good uh, will be seen as alienated uh, from all of the others who will not so choose. I shall say something further uh, of this uh, position in the discussion of friendship. What is to be emphasized here is that the place of freedom and human worth and political philosophy involves directly the position we take on evil, hell, and death itself. The end of the chapter. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.